presents your burdens, and that you must face each trial on your own. When the choices you must make seem to surround you, you can know that you will never be alone. There's a friend that will be closer than a brother. He is faithful in each promise that he gives. On this solid rock I stand, other ground is sinking sand, and I know each day the victory he will give. For God hears each time I humbly call. God sees he made me after all. So when others doubt and question, there's a truth that I can claim. In everything God knows. There's a blessed comfort and a sweet assurance when you yield your life into the Lord's control. For he promises to carry every burden. He is waiting there to lighten every load. Why not give your everything to Christ the Savior? For he fashioned you as he would have you be. He's creator over all, yet he hears each time you call. It's through Jesus we can know this wondrous peace. For God hears each time I humbly call. God sees he made me after all. So when others doubt and question, there's a truth that I can claim in everything God knows. In everything. Yes, in everything. Oh, in everything. God knows. Verses 1 through 7. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity that is ours to open thy precious word. Thank you, Father, for the privilege we have to come before you this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you for the privilege we have to sing praises unto thy glorious name, for truly thou art worthy of our praise, of our honor, and our worship. Father, I pray as we look into the word of God now that we'd quiet our hearts before you and give attention to the preaching of your word, and may you be glorified in your church, we do pray in Jesus' name. I titled this message tonight, or this morning, from verse 3, Concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just a little bit by way of an introduction, you know, the Bible does not tell us who started the churches in Rome. Paul had never been to Rome yet at this point. Of course, he'd be later taken there as a prisoner. And there appears to be more than one. For example, if you look in chapter 16, in chapter 16, and Paul didn't specifically address a church in chapter 1. He just said, to all that be in Rome. And then in chapter 16, in verse 3, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. And we've read about them before in the book of Acts. Uh, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who for their own life, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the churches in their house. Um, it's possible they started one of the churches. Uh, and then in verse 10, he says, Salute Apelles, 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 approved in Christ. Salute them which are of the Aristobulus' household. Uh, salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the, the Lord. Salute, salute uh, Trophina, Trophosa. Who labor in the Lord, salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine, salute uh, you these others here, and then in verse 15, salute Philogius and Julia, Nerus and his sister Olympia, and all the saints which are with them. If you notice, it says that in several of uh, those, I read over them kind of quickly, but it, some think that possibly the household might be fruit to a, a church, well, most of the churches at this point met in houses, but it, it's, it says in uh, verse 14 of these, the brethren which are with them, and then at verse 15, and then again, the saints which are with them, so it seems to indicate two different groups of people meeting together, so, so more than likely there was more than one church in Rome at this time. After all, the estimated population of Rome at this time is 1.2 million people. And just to give you an idea, Wake County is 1,024,000. So there are more people in Rome this date, Paul's writing, than there are in Wake County today. So there are a lot of people to whom uh, the gospel would have given to. And, and, and some say that probably over half of those were slaves. There were the, 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 of course, Rome was the capital city of Rome, the Roman Empire, but the elite was a small class of people. Uh, but, of course, we read about Aquila and Priscilla. They had come to Rome, uh, from Rome to Corinth. That's where Paul, Paul first met them in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. Proceeding to this writing, you know, at one point the emperor had commanded all Jews to leave Rome. And they had then 
went to, gone to Corinth, where that's where Paul had met them. Uh, Paul had desired to go to Rome for some time. For example, in verse 13 of chapter 1, he says, Now I would not have you ignorant brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let, hindered too. That word let simply means hindered. So as we think about Rome, you know, there have been more than one church, likely more than one church that Paul is writing to. And, uh, and so uh, as we th- think about that this morning, I want to speak about the subject concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about that, several things I want to no- notice. First of all, uh, our character. If you notice in verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. <laughs> Excuse me. Several things I want to notice here, the first of all, this morning, as we consider our character, is that we are servants. We are servants. In verse 1, it gives Paul a servant of Jesus Christ. Of course, the word servant means bond slave. This is, a, this is not a uh, forced slavery. This is a slavery of choice. Slavery of choice. Roy Lauren, in his commentary, said this, quote, he, he regarded himself not merely as an ally, but rather the purchased possession of his master. He had forsworn the title to his life and surrendered himself to consuming passion, the servant, the service of Jesus Christ, unquote. Yes, Paul made tents. We know Paul made tents to support himself when necessary. When, he, when funds would be low from churches supporting him, Paul would make tents to provide for himself. But his vocation in life was not tent making. It was changing the lives and homes of people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his vocation. That was his consuming passion. In Ephesians 4.1 he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, uh, 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 you know, calling himself a prisoner of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 he says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, Therefore glorify your body, God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So Paul regarded himself as a purchased possession of his master. He was a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ, willingly serving the Lord. And sometimes we may forget the privilege that is ours as servants of the king in his kingdom. You know, nobody, nobody wants to be a servant think that's belittling but we're servants of the king you know would it make any difference in your attitude towards your job and your situation in life or your plight in life if you look at yourself as an officer of the king you know peter was put in prison we learned this morning Here's, an, here's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's put in prison. He's an officer. He's a representative of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But he's in prison. But he's sleeping. You know, that's a picture of he's resting confident in the Lord's will for his life. That he wasn't his own. You know, if you are saved and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ... We ought to walk like it, talk like it, look like it, work like it, and live like it. For we are 
we are sent ones. I want to notice a second thing here. Not only are we servants, but Paul says he was a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. The word apostle, now I know we're not apostles, but we are apostles. Not in the apostolic sense that we have seen the risen Christ. That was a, 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 a mark of an apostle of New Testament times. But we are apostles in the fact that we are sent ones. That's what the word apostle literally means, sent one. We have been sent. Roy Lauren, and again in his commentary, said too many want the high place without first taking the low place. They want the robes of honor without the humble garments of service. But the servant precedes the apostle. We have to learn to serve. Before we can be sent. An apostle means a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders. And so, as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do have orders. We have been sent forth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In uh, verses 2 and 3. Bible says, ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Look at chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18. It says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to, this, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Now, Bible says that we are an ambassadors for Christ. Do you understand that an ambassadorship is something to be coveted? We were listening to a, a, a reading, you know, a, book, a book being read by George Washington. And when he became elected president, immediately he was getting letters from friends, relatives, all wanting appointments. You know, people send letters, or, pe- or people will look to a president for favors. Some will look for an ambassadorship. They, it's something to be desired or coveted. It's a position of authority. There is authority that goes with an ambassadorship. You know, they, an, an ambassador to, to, to England from the United States has the authority of the United States behind him. He represents the United States of America in, in England. And we have been sent forth as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ with his authority. With his authority. You know, our service for God is not just here, it's out there. It's in the world. We, have, we are sent to take the gospel of the Lamb. And our lives should affect people out there. You know, Jesus said 
during his earthly ministry, in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, he said, And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. In, in Luke 14, 23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be full, may be filled. In John 17, let's, uh, we'll actually go over there, John chapter 17, and verses 14 through 21. John 17. Go out into the world. John 17, 14, he says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You know, the world doesn't really care for us in a lot of ways. Did you ever get that impression? They are, they have an attraction to our life. There's an appeal there. But, re- they, but many times, you know, there may be an appeal, and they may talk about it, but they really don't want to know why you're different. They don't come right, they won't come out and ask you. They just appreciate it. Many times people talk about their, their children, but they won't. They don't ask how. Why are yours different? Because they really don't want to know. If they really knew, then they'd think something else of me. But anyway. Um, but verse 15 says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. See, God has sent us into the world to take the gospel to the world. And so... We are sent once. We have been sent forth to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. But you want to notice the second thing. Not only do we see our character here, but we also see our career. Uh, and I want to notice two things as we consider this. First of all, we are called. In verse 1 again, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle called to be an apostle. The word called is used also in verse 6 where it says, among whom ye also are also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. The word called means invited or appointed. So we have been appointed uh, to a service. You know, someone has said this was the credentials of Paul's service. And this is our credentials. We have been appointed. In other words, we have a divine mission, a divine purpose, if you will. We are called to be saints. Now, the word saints means properly reverend or worthy of veneration or to put it in plain English, to regard or treat with respect. 
You see, our life before a lost and dying world ought to bring respect. It ought to bring respect. It, it ought to bring admiration. When you're out on the job, you know, your life ought to bring respect of those you work with. You know, if you're out of the job and you're softful and careless and have an all-whatever attitude, you, know, you have just discredited and disgraced yourself as a Christian and as a member of this church. That's not the worst of it. He's awful disgraced and ashamed the name of Christ. That's why it's so important that we properly educate our children and teach them the godly work ethic. It is biblical. It's biblical. Anything less may be an embarrassment to the Lord. In fact, this was the situation in Thessalonica. You remember in Acts chapter, or First Thessalonica, or First Thessalonians, chapter one, Paul referred to their working. In First Thessalonians chapter one, verses three to eight, he says, "Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father." Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so we need not to speak of anything. So these people had quickly earned a reputation of, of, of being busy in the Lord's work. They were a working church. But it wasn't too long after that there were some problems with some people in the church. After the first letter, and Paul, and Paul wrote to them about the coming of Christ, someone thought, hey, the Lord's coming. Why work? Why work? Let's just wait. So they quit working. And they became busybodies. And Second Thessalonians chapter 3, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, he says in verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how we ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, this, some in this church soon became lazy which was grounds for church discipline. It was a serious issue. You see, we ought to be, we are called to be saints. We ought to be regarded and respected. And that's not just our talking about our faith in Christ, but our faith in Christ includes a good work ethic. 
and given an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. Secondly, what are we called? No, we have a we have a, a mission here, but we have a we have a divine we do have a divine purpose. As we think about this, we have a divine purpose. We are called according to his purpose, 2 Timothy 1 9 t- tells us. And our purpose is the furtherance of the gospel. Now, you say, well, I work, you know, I work at Brantley's. I raise birds. And I, you know, work at the city. And yeah. But our first and primary purpose is the furtherance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bob Mitchell said this one time. He said every child of God, in fact, it was a brother he said that said it, who's, who's uh, a deacon in his church. Every child of God should either be a pastor or a pastor's helper. And, and, of course, our purpose is, is the furtherance of the gospel. It's to preach the gospel, to plant churches. So everyone ought to be helping to get the gospel out. You know, everybody wants a purpose in life. And we have been given a divine purpose. You know, that's why so many people join groups like Antifa and communism. They want a purpose. They want a purpose. I remember reading here some time ago about a young fellow who was a a, a druggie during his teenage years and, you know, in and out of jail. And, and finally he got hooked up with Antifa. And, boy, he, is, he has got, he said, now I have a purpose in life. And he is just wild and crazy about, the, about Antifa and, and protesting and all these things. And he said, because I have purpose. I now have a purpose. Hey, we have a purpose. You know, if you don't have a purpose, there's no reason to excel. There's no reason to improve. There's no reason to work hard or no reason to live. And communists, communists and anti-members, members, they work hard to promote and to fund their causes. They seek higher paying jobs so they can give more to expand their interests. Our First interest should be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should seek, whether we're at the city or whether we're at Brantley's or whether we're at working you know, with washing machines or whatever we're doing, we should seek to improve and excel in every area of our life so that not only our witness is effective, but we have more to give, to fund. So here you go, preaching on money again. It takes money. To get the great gospel to all the world. To expand our interests. You know how, no matter how much money this church could have, there'd still be missionaries that would need support. And so we should seek to improve, to excel. You know, that, in essence, is what Barnabas did. He gave. He didn't just give a tithe. He was a wealthy man. 
In fact, one commentator said this about the book of Romans in his introduction. He says, Paul, when at this writing, was a house guest of a wealthy Grecian named, and you'll recognize this name, Gaius in Corinth. And by the way, that Gaius sometimes traveled with Paul. Phoebe, and you're going to see that name in, the, in chapter 16, Phoebe was also believed to be a widow of considerable wealth from a nearby Centra, was a church in Centra, and had business in Rome and carried this epistle of Romans with her to Rome. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trusted in certain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. You know, we are not to live for riches but we are to use them for the glory of God. You know, some people have this idea that it's wrong to have money, that if you have money, you're not spiritual. I don't know where they get that. They don't get it from the Bible. No, we're just not to trust in riches, but we are to use our riches for the glory of God, for the furtherance of the gospel. It's investing in eternal things. You know, and that's our purpose here in this life. We have a divine purpose that goes beyond the places where we work. God uses those places of employment to provide for our purpose. Then notice something else here. I don't know we... We are called, but we are also consecrated. Notice again verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated, I want you to notice this, separated unto the gospel of God. The word separated means to, again, to a point, to set apart. Set apart one for some purpose. And Paul said he was separated unto the gospel of God. Uh, look in 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and this was a command that he gave to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 17. He says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves or separate ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So separation is is not just separating from, it's separating to. You know, this, this, this room in this building 
has been separated or consecrated for the purpose of the preaching of the, of the word of God, for the worship of the Lord. The, you know, the, the fellowship hall, now we use it for various things, but it's set apart, it's really set apart for fellowships. And we need to separate ourselves for the purpose of the gospel of God. Paul said he was separated from his mother's womb. Proverbs 18.1 says, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh intermittent all wisdom. In other words, he's going he's to go through the toil and the struggle of separating himself from that which is evil to seek out wisdom and truth. You know, uh, Ecclesiastes 11.10 says, Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart, put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. You know, we need, we need to, to, to separate ourselves from things that are vain. He calls youthful and vain. When you think about youthful, it's those that lack understanding seek vain things. 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But you see, this, these things calls for sober minds. So in other words, the idea is we need to be serious-minded or, or, or set ourselves apart, and it takes a serious or a sober mind to do that. Paul wrote to Titus, he said, the aged men need to be sober, the aged women likewise, and the teaching young women, and the, age, and the young men need to be sober-minded. In other words, think seriously about life. We was talking to Brother Bishop Thursday afternoon. He was tell us, telling us about Alejandro, who's the pastor of the second church he started in Mexico. Alejandro is a son of a single mom whom he led to the Lord in the first church he started. And, you know, Brother Bishop, you know, because she was a single mom and had this little boy, he would help with things, fix doorknobs to the house and do things and kind of took Alejandro under, under his wing and, and, you know, took him on visitation and so on and so forth. But he said he was always a serious-minded young man, even as a young boy. He wanted to help his mom, take care of his mom. And he consecrated himself to work. One commentator said, quote, It is not brilliance and genius that God needs in men nearly so much as he needs those who will stick to the task, unquote. And this separation does not mean isolation. It means insulation. You know, God doesn't save us to remove us from the world. He saves us to insulate us from it. Now, the purpose of insulation on wire you know what the purpose of insulation on wire is? It's to prevent the transfer of, transfer of power. So you put some non-conducting substance around the wire, uh, uh, around the wire, or the, or the transmitting instrument, which is the wire. 
that insulates. So you could pick up the wire, even if it's plugged in, and not get shocked. The electricity won't come through the insulation. And we need to be insulated against the destructive and weakening effects of the evil influences of the world around us. Insulated, not isolated. And so we need separation. If someone has said it, it means consecration and concentration. And so we are to be consecrated to the work. Separated unto God. The work that he has called us. And then I want you to notice the third thing. Not only our character, our career, but our concern. Notice verses 3 and 4. It says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. You see, our character... Our career concerns the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what, what, you say, what do you mean it concerns? Well, a concern is something that relates to. In other words, it relates to or it pertains to the person of Christ because we bear his name. Christian, take Christ out of it, what do you have? Somebody said, I ain't nothing. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, so we bear his name. So our character, our career does concern him. It's a, it, it, concerns, it pertains to him. You know, Paul, as a servant, as an apostle, his appointment, his calling, his consecration, his separation, all was about the Lord Jesus Christ. It was all about him. You know, being a Christian is about a person. It's about Christ. Lauren, in his commentary, said this, quote, Jesus Christ is not in the past tense. All other people are in the past tense when they die, but not our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our greatest contemporary, unquote. He is not in the past tense. He lives in us. And we see here, as we consider him, we see here three things about him. First of all, his humanity in verse 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David. The word made there means to be born. In other words, his birth identifies him with the royal family of David, but also goes back to all the way to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. You know, the birth of Christ was really the completion of a chain of genealogical and biological events. The final link of that chain was Mary, and, and who produced her son in the capacity of the seed of the woman. And where do you read that? In Genesis chapter 3. See, it was the seed of the woman that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. So we see his humanity. His deity, verse 4, says, declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So his deity is declared here or proven here by his resurrection. So his birth and his burial are linked together, you might say. He was divinely born and he was divinely raised. He was born of a virgin womb and came forth from a virgin tomb.
You know, his birth has no parallel in history, none like it. This makes Christ unique, different than us. But think about it, but yet at the same time, like us. And approachable by us because he was born of a woman. So not only was he God, but he was man. Lauren said, quote, because of his deity, he has power to aid you. Because of his humanity, he has feeling to understand you, unquote. And we, of course, we read in Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see, he understands you because he was one of you. He is one of you. He was a man. But I notice a third thing here, and that's his availability. In verse 5, it says, By whom? We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. You see, his, he is available for, to us. Of course, he is our high priest. But I want you to notice, go to Ephesians, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but Ephesians chapter 1, because this, this uh, relates here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And again in chapter 3 and verse 20, says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. See, because he is deity, he has power to aid us, to strengthen us. And that power is available to us. Philippians chapter 2 Verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh, and that word worketh is energy. Where we get our word energy. He's the energy which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we have, then, a Savior who is unique. He's not antique. He's not obsolete. He's unique. He's not outdated. But what we have is a, a faith which is living and powerful and presently available to meet our every need. He's available to us. You know, John wrote in John chapter 1, verse 11, 12, he came unto his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You know, there's no one like the Lord Jesus Christ.
who has power to aid and yet has feeling to understand us. There's no God like him. He's unique. Our Savior is unique. And he is better than any other. So how is your character? Does it reflect the Lord Jesus Christ? What about your career, your purpose in life? Is it for the furtherance of the gospel? You know, he is our concern. He is our purpose. Are we living to fulfill that purpose? Let's pray.